Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're going to be in Romans 12 this morning. You can turn there. We're going to continue uh, our second part of what we began last week in speaking or considering looking at uh, what the Word has to say about spiritual gifts. Uh, So if you'll turn to Romans 12, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer and uh, ask that the Holy Spirit would do what He does so that we can get what we're supposed to get uh, from the Word. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for being altogether wonderful and for being a God who is unlike any other, who, whose strength surpasses all, whose goodness is immeasurable. Lord, I'm thankfully overwhelmed this morning uh, by the fact that as I sat and watched a room full of worshipers, praising your name, to know that everyone sitting here has gifts of the Spirit designed to be used, uh, used for the good of the church and for the glory of you. This room is filled with treasure because of how good you are. My prayer this morning is for the power of the Spirit. I'm well aware that what needs to be communicated this morning uh, goes far beyond my natural ability to communicate anything. And so I pray that the Spirit would give us understanding and fill us with power, that we might not be hearers of the Word only, but doers also. Lord, I pray also, um, continuing to pray as we've been praying, we pray for our civil authorities here locally, and particularly this morning, I want to pray just for the Hunt County judges as they make decisions in regard to the laws. Uh, I pray that you would give them wisdom, insight, discernment, and encouragement in the truth. And I pray that they would lead and and govern in a way and judge in a way uh, that is honoring to you. I also pray uh, for a local church, Gateway Fellowship, and Caddo Mills. I pray for Trent and uh, Natalie Brown. As they've spent the last week in the Dominican Republic, my prayer is that their ministry there and their uh, work there uh, has been a kingdom uh, movement that is glorifying to you. I pray for the relationships that they have formed there, that they would continue to be uh, cherished as you are uh, enjoyed. And I pray that the truth of Christ is going forward as the gospel is proclaimed there. And I pray that... um, that the love of Christ is shown in practical ways as they serve. I pray for Trent and Natalie in in their marriage. Uh, I'm thankful for the joy that I've gotten to see in them uh, throughout the years and uh, pray that you would continue to bless them as their marriage reflects the beauty uh, between Christ and his bride. Lord, we are needy people this morning. It's not really different than any other morning, but I'm well aware of how needy we are and how great the Spirit is. So I pray that you would allow this time to go as you see fit for your uh, glory, according to your will, for the forward movement of your kingdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for not giving us just a list of instructions and then leaving us until you come back later. You are great and greatly to be praised, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Paul is making an appeal to the life of the believer to live a particular life of worship now because they are in Christ. And he calls it our spiritual worship, and it means presenting your entire being to God for his use. And in verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Last week, we began our discussion on spiritual gifts um, known as the charismata. Uh, that's like a scary word to a lot of us. It's not meant to be scary. It is God's design that we refer uh, to the charismata as both the spiritual gifts and gifts of grace. There's a way of thinking that new believers are supposed to have in Christ. Jeff, can you grab me some water? In Christ. There's a way of thinking that new believers are supposed to have. We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and not conformed to the world. Particularly, Paul drew out two extremely necessary parts to the transformed mind and the believer's way of thinking. So the way that you think is supposed to be affected by these verses. So the first is don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Rather, we are to think with sober ju judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Second, we must see ourselves as members of the body of Christ and thereby members of one another. So you are members of each other because you are members of the body of Christ. It's at this point that we can begin our discussion on spiritual gifts. If we are filled with arrogance and conceit, and if we are individualistic in our thinking, then there will be problems when we talk about spiritual gifts, namely, that we will be tempted in our conceit to use them for the wrong purposes. They are not to be boasted in. They are not to make ourselves look more spiritual. They are given by God according to the measure of faith that He chooses to pour out. Thank you, sir. As He has designed. Our conclusion, then, is that they are to be used by every member of the body. No believer sitting here is exempt from the use of spiritual gifts. They're to be used by every member of the body for the strengthening of faith in other people and the upbuilding of the church. We are to use our differing gifts as stewards who are very eager to serve others. So walking in the Word will largely happen through your gifting. Walking in the Word will largely happen through your gifting. So if you're saying, I don't know what my gifting is, it's important that we understand and learn what that is. God gives us spiritual gifts of grace so that we can be doers of the Word and not hearers only. What we considered last week is that we can have an elder-led church with solid doctrine, sound financial movement, expository preaching, active deacons, even a good small group structure, but if the members 
of the body are not using their gifts of grace and faith for the strengthening of faith in others, then what I want us to see this morning is our church will be very unhealthy. If we are not using our gifts that God has given us, then this church here will be very unhealthy. So I find the stakes to be very high. And I think I echo Paul's desire and that my hope for Cross Point Fellowship is that we are not uninformed in regards to spiritual gifts. Something I think we need to see, it was a, I woke up this morning with the feeling of needing to say this. This is humbling, and you need to know that what God plans to accomplish through the church goes beyond our natural abilities. That humbles us, and that sobers us in our thinking in regards to the movement of the Spirit. What God plans to accomplish through the church goes beyond our natural abilities. The natural abilities won't cut it. They are indeed a gift from God, but it's not enough for what he wants to accomplish through the church. Some of us may have high levels of anxiety. Some of you sitting here may have high levels of anxiety. Some of us may have high levels of stress because we aren't trusting and walking in the Spirit. Romans 8, in fact, says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So some of us may be walking by the Spirit in a small measure, and we need to grow in that. Some of us may not be walking in the Spirit at all. And that may be the reason for some of our anxiety and stress. It's almost like our natural abilities are beginning to push back and say, I can't do what you're asking me to do. God has things he wants to accomplish in the church, and you can't just use your natural abilities to try to muster it and push through it. So for some of us, we may have anxiety and stress because our natural abilities are saying, I can't do that. I can't deliver what you're asking me to deliver. You need something bigger, which would be the gifts of the Spirit. So this week, as we look at the more specific purpose and use of spiritual gifts, it would be beneficial to consider the gifts specifically. I hope you would agree. Here in Romans 12, we have these. Prophecy. Yes, there we go. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, and acts of mercy. I, I put these up here on purpose because I, I want your eyes to connect with them and see that God has purposes in these things, in this church, and you sitting here will have these gifts. Some of you will. Everyone has some gift of the Spirit. But are these all of them? Are there only seven spiritual gifts? Well, if we read through other portions of Scripture, what we find is that there are five sections of Scripture that discuss the spiritual gifts in more specific detail. So if you put all of them together, you actually have 15 spiritual gifts specifically mentioned on top of the seven mentioned. In Romans 12, you have eight more, including, look at that, it's already up there, the gifts of apostles, evangelists, working miracles, gifts of healing, faith, distinguishing spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So I would urge you to look at this list and know that each of these things are still valid in one capacity or another. Remember, what God has planned for this church goes beyond your natural ability. He's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish through the gifts of the Spirit which he gives to each of you. So we can't look at this list and say, I'm cool with that, but that thing, I don't know, I'm not for it. That's arrogance, that's conceit. 
That's pride. Everyone's thinking, is he about to talk about speaking in tongues? Probably everyone's looking at that and saying, I don't know about all that. Um, these are valid in some sense or another in the local church. So I'm not asking you to look at this list as, as a suggestion. I'm telling you, this is what we need. This is what God has ordained through the work of the Spirit to bless this church immensely by the work of the Spirit. This isn't, this is a list I want you all to just consider how you may try to pick one of those and do that. No, no, no. This is how God will bless this church immensely. This is a treasure. Now, Paul puts these things in a list so that you can consider the possibilities in regards to building up the faith of others. But once we have a list like this, it would be tempting to oversimplify the call to use our spiritual gifts. Don't oversimplify it. Don't just run to the list and pick one and that's it. What we must see is that none of the lists mentioned in Scripture are exhaustive in regards to spiritual gifts, and every list contains gifts that have extremely broad expressions. There are many ways to help. So if you have a spiritual gift of, of help, there are many expressions of that movement of the Spirit. There are many acts of mercy. <coughs> there are many opportunities in teaching and leading. I think this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are varieties of gifts, but the same Lord. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. These lists of gifts were never meant to be limiting, but rather empowering. I think that there are two ways that we could wrongly use a list like this as limiting. First would be by choosing one gifting and limiting yourself to that. Let's talk about that a little more. Our spiritual gifts change with the needs of the church. Does every single local church have the exact same needs at the exact same time? No. So I believe that what Scripture shows us is that our spiritual gifts can change with the needs of the church. If the needs change and you are not willing to serve in a different way, then what you're doing is limiting the expression of the Spirit in your gifting. The second way that we could wrongly use a list like this in a limiting way would be by not allowing others to use their gifts because you see it as yours and yours only. This would be like someone saying, no, I'm the one with the gift of teaching, so no one else teaches. Or I'm the one with the gift of service in greeting, so no one else greets. This is my thing. It may sound silly to be concerned about someone acting in such a manner, but people have left their church homes over lesser things, and I think we need to be careful not to limit ourselves in regards to this. So ultimately, our spiritual gifts can change, and then they overlap. It's not just here's this one thing, but it can be service via acts of mercy because you are contributing generously. There's overlapping of gifts. Gifts can change. Our gifts can be similar to the people we're sitting next to, or our gifts can be different from the people that we are sitting next to. The result is that there can be many different combinations of gifting. And an individual who has particular gifting, if they're growing in that, there's a result in different possibilities of that expression. And this robust expression only increases with the size of the body of believers. If our gifts are for the strengthening of others, then the result will be people growing in their gifting and thereby increasing in the outpouring of the Spirit and the blessing of the body through the use of such gifts. I really want us to see what a beautiful picture it is that God is painting via the gifts of the Spirit. 
growing together, using our gifts like iron sharpening iron and, and strengthening a faith in a large portion as we are poured, being poured out as God sees fit. So let's take a closer look at Romans 12. These, these, that first part of the list, put list one back up. All right, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, acts of mercy. Am I allowed to be rude and insensitive and short-tempered with people simply because I do not have the spiritual gift of mercy? Would you take that as an excuse? Why are you being so rude? <laughs> I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. My bad. Or not even my bad. Maybe it's the Spirit's bad for not giving it to me. Am I exempt from contributing financially because I don't have the spiritual gift of contribution? Do you pray against the spiritual gift of contribution and thinking maybe you wouldn't have to contribute financially? Do I get to sit on my hands and watch others serve because I don't, I don't have the spiritual gift of service? You guys are doing wonderful using your spiritual gift of service. I don't have that. I'm, not, I'm done. I'm not going to serve. In large part, what I'm seeing is that this list is also a list of Christian virtues. This list is also a list of Christian virtues. Because I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm to make disciples, which will mean some form of teaching and even leading. Because I am a believer, I am to serve and exhort and contribute and show mercy. So then we have to ask, what is the difference between a Christian virtue and a spiritual gift? You can go ahead and take that slide down. And I think our answer will begin to unfold in verse 6 of Romans 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. We use our gifts in proportion to our faith. Gifts will differ according to grace given. Last week, I shared a quote from a pastor that said, we must not get hung up on naming our gifts. The thing to get hung up on is, are we doing what we can do to strengthen the faith of people around us? When you become this kind of person, the Holy Spirit will not let your longings go to waste. He will help you find ways to strengthen the faith of others, and that will be the discovery of your gifts. So spiritual gifts are a work of God by the power of the Spirit. So don't minimize spiritual gifts. The use of these gifts will result in being bigger than what you could ever accomplish on your own. And because it is not just a natural ability or something you're trying to muster, but a working of the Spirit in you to strengthen others while glorifying Him, I believe that you will enjoy the expression of your spiritual gift. I don't think you will use your gifts of the Spirit in such a manner where you're like, oh, this stinks. This is such a drag. I hate this. I want to go home and take a nap. The Spirit moves in a mighty way, and there should be joy in the lives of believers when that happens. So I find this to be the difference between a Christian virtue and a spiritual gift. All Christians are sealed by the Holy Spirit and are at all times to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are to be evident in the life of the Christian all of the time. But the gifts of the Spirit are poured out in different measures at different times according to the different needs of the church. So this is important. Your spiritual gifts can be defined as any gift, service, or activity within the community of faith that results in fruitfulness that you find joy in. I'll say that again because it's an important definition. 
your spiritual gifts can be defined as any gift, service, or activity within the community of faith that results in fruitfulness that you find joy in. You may be thinking, great, so how can I know what my spiritual gifting is? Spiritual gifts are designed for mutual encouragement and strengthening of each other. So finding our gifts outside of Christian community is highly unlikely. I want you to hear that. Your spiritual gifts are designed for community. We use them in the church, and we use them as a church as we reach out to a lost world. And so for you to find your spiritual gifts outside of Christian community is very unlikely. It is in our walk with the community of faith. It's in our walk with other believers and our walk with the local church that I think we find our gifts. I see it playing out something like this. I am a member of a local body. At different points in the life of the church, there are different needs that are designed by God to be met by the members of the church. That may be a surprise to some of us. The needs of the church are not met by a staff of paid professionals who say, don't try this at home. The needs of the church are met by members of the church who are equipped saints, who are equipped in the preaching and teaching week by week, and who are equipped via the, uh, by the Spirit via gifts. So there will be needs that come up in the church, and the needs are largely met by y'all, or us, I should say, because I'm a member of a church, even though I'm on staff. He equips the saints with gifts of grace so that these needs can be met. So let's see how this plays out. Well, those, with leader, those in leadership are to lead with zeal, which means earnestness and diligence. So throughout the life of the church, it is not okay for leadership to be clueless as to the needs of the church. Rather, they are to know the needs of the church as they seek them prayerfully, and then the leadership communicates those needs to the body. I don't know how many times I've heard Steve Roberts say, let's put that in front of the body. Let's put that in front of the body. There's times where I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm saying, well, what do we do with this? This is a need. How do, what do we do with it? And he says, well, let's put it before the body. Now, early on in the life of Crosspoint, there was not a huge need for someone with the spiritual gift of administration. It was a mess and we were all okay with that. There was far less to manage. And the idea of long-term planning and order was really somewhat humorous. Our operating budget at the beginning was likely less than many of your personal household budgets. But since 2003, God has blessed us immensely. Since 2003, our budget, our staff, and the number of families who are members have multiplied exponentially, literally and otherwise. So the need for someone with the spiritual gift of administration has increased. And in communicating that need, what y'all need to know is that a team of people have stepped up and are currently using their spiritual gifts to serve this body in the area of administration. This, in turn, allows others to use their spiritual gifts of teaching and leading and service and help. Again, early on in the life of Crosspoint, there was a time where less service was needed in the area of ministering to our children. This is where the shameless plug comes in, so get ready. There were not many children in 2003 at Crosspoint. Jeff Collins walked through every room in the other building and prayed that God would fill those rooms with children, and God has answered his prayer with a resounding yes. <laughs> and so that need has changed over time. Well, that need is to be met by spiritual gifts 
in the body. Annie and Tiffany have made it clear that times are a-changing. We need more people to use their spiritual gift of service in a number of ways in regards to our children and families. We need more people to use their spiritual gifts to teach these children as they are growing up ever so quickly. We've got children running around in this body who are communicating spiritual truths and biblical truths, and they hold us adults accountable in their childlike faith, and they didn't even exist in 2003 or four or five. Some of, I mean, it's crazy. There are needs for service and needs for teaching. And as people serve and use their gifts, many are serving and using their gifts. Sometimes they become weary at the end of a Sunday morning where there were 39 children in the treehouse. So that's when you people with the spiritual gift of exhortation and encouragement step in. When you see someone appearing to lose their mind in the parking lot because there are 39 children in the treehouse, you use your gift of encouragement and exhortation to spur them forward to keep spending and being spent gladly on the souls of God's children. You be spent on their souls as you remind them of the big, beautiful picture of generational faithfulness and how it's worth it. So there are two responsibilities that we have as we walk in faith. First, we need to be looking for needs. Sometimes the church gets a label where, you know, just come here and have your needs met. Just come here and have your needs met. Come here and have your needs met. But part of your need being met is meeting needs. Does that make sense? Part of your needs being met are meeting needs. It's designed to be a give and receive relationship. I was once told by a friend of mine, he said, you know, there's only two kinds of relationships. There's people who, who help you and people who just, just drain you dry. And I looked at him and said, well, what, what am I? If it, there's only, are you, what, are, what am I? How, what does this do to our friendship? This is awkward. Because you're saying there's only two types of people, either the ones that are helpful or the ones that need all the help. And I don't think that's God's design at all. His design is that we are serving each other, that this person is using their gift in faith to strengthen the faith of this person who's doing the same thing for this person, and it's beautiful, and it's happening all throughout the body. So ask the question, what are the needs? If you're a member of a body of believers, whether it's this body or another body, ask, what are the needs? Because you have been designed by God and gifted by the Spirit to meet those needs. Where can we use our faith and our spiritual gifts to strengthen other people? How can I serve this body faithfully? How can I truly care for other people? This is one way to find your spiritual gifts. The second responsibility and opportunity that we have is to be looking at how others are using their gifts and affirming them in their use of them. It really wasn't until this week as I was studying that I realized we have a responsibility here. Because if you're likely not going to find your spiritual gifts outside of a community of faith, then if you see someone using their gifting and it's, and it's strengthening your faith or the faith of another, you encourage them in that gift. Affirm them. This would be a second way to find your spiritual gifts. Serve the body and be affirmed by others whose faith is being strengthened by yours. So now that we see how this could play out in a local body, let's get even more specific. Romans 12, 6 says, If prophecy in proportion to your faith prophecy. There's probably a lot of different thoughts in regards to what that might be or might not be. So let me give you a definition. 
Prophecy is spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-oh, starting to get crazy up in here. Prophecy is spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit. Having knowledge of something that you would otherwise not be able to know. Now here's what I want us to see. It's not hocus pocus. But prophecy is also not the normal means by which the Spirit reveals things to us. The Spirit gives us the gift of prophecy to reveal some things, but it is not the normal means by which the Spirit reveals things to us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped and competent for every good work. This is the main means by which we are receiving understanding, knowledge, insight, that we can walk in faith. But there is a gift of the spirit of prophecy that gives us insight and understanding and knowledge of things that we may otherwise not know. And when it comes along, we take it to this and we weigh it with this. It's not infallible. The gift of prophecy is to be tested with the word. But make no mistake, it's a gift, and it's a treasure to the church. 1 Corinthians 14 says that when one comes forward with a prophecy or a revelation, we're to weigh what is said. You've heard Brad talk about this from the pulpit. We're to weigh what is said. That means you are allowed to be skeptical. If someone comes up and says, hey, the Spirit was laying on my heart that maybe this is something. Is it? You're allowed to be skeptical at that moment. You're allowed to say, well, let's weigh that. Let's weigh that with reality. Let's weigh that with what we know, and let's weigh that with the Word. But here's something, a warning that I feel like we probably need at Crosspoint. There's a difference between skepticism and cynicism. There's a difference between skepticism and cynicism. Skepticism weighs what is said, while cynicism largely dismisses what is said. That's weird. I don't need that. Cynicism will dismiss what is said, and it may be a treasure that's being dismissed. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, some of us really need to keep our cynicism in check. Be sober-minded when these kinds of things come up. Wayne Grudem, I'm sharing examples from specific people who aren't crazy and who love Jesus, so that you can't be like, well, that guy's an idiot. I don't care about that example. These are people who love Jesus and aren't crazy. Wayne Grudem says prophecy is, he defines prophecy as, Received individualized personal communication from God that is meant for edifying and building up the body. There's an example that a lot of people use when they talk about prophecy from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's another person who loves Jesus and isn't crazy. Where he was preaching and he looks into the gallery and as he's preaching he says, young man, those gloves in your pocket are not paid for. How awkward would that be? All the young men are, uh, I bought these. Um, He said, young man, those gloves in your pocket are not paid for. Now, the result was a young man repenting of his sin and going and paying for the stolen gloves. It's not hocus pocus. Don't make more of it than it is. Receive it. Weigh it. It would not have been known other than by the Spirit revealing it. And it resulted in the body being edified and built up through repentance and obedience. Anytime someone repents and follows Jesus in obedience, that builds up the body. So the result of that those gloves aren't paid for, was good for the body. So we can call that good. John Piper, another person who loves Jesus and is not crazy, had an example when he was preaching, and he was probably using this as an example and didn't even realize what was being communicated. But he said, 
he pointed to a building across the way and said, that's why the businessmen and women on the 36th floor of that building need to make sure that their faith plays into the decisions being made in that business, something along those lines. And after the service, a lady came up and said, I was one of the business ladies in that meeting on the 36th floor. Huh. And she was encouraged, and it was edifying to the body. It's not hocus pocus. It doesn't have to be crazy and weird. And don't, if it happens, don't think, ooh, what else can I get my hands on? I want to do some, some shock and awe. I want to I blow some people's minds with my, with my prophecy. That's not how it works. A few weeks ago, God woke me up. Now I get to be one of the crazy people. God woke me up at 2 or 3 a.m. for two nights in a row. At 2 or 3 a.m., he wakes me up, and he's laying on my heart. I did not hear an audible voice, but he lays on my heart to pray for some people that I haven't spoken with in over a decade. I'm, I'm like, it's 2 in the morning. Why right now? And so I prayed, and I prayed specifically that God, that they would be enjoying God and that he would give them strength to endure and to persevere in whatever life has for them. It felt silly. I was like, God, this feels futile. Why, why am I praying for these people at 2 or 3 in the morning and I haven't spoken with them in a decade? The next night, 2 or 3 in the morning, I feel the need to pray for them again. And so I pray the same thing. The next day I thought, I'm going to stop this because I'm tired of waking up in the middle of the night. So I got on Facebook and found them and sent them one of those crazy person letters. I'm like, this is going to sound weird. And I just told them. I said, I, I want you to know, Two or three in the morning, the last two nights, God's woken me up to, to pray for you. And this is what I prayed. I hope you're doing well. And I'm not crazy. And, uh, and they wrote back and said um, that they were blown away at how good God is. Because for the last two nights, at two or three in the morning, they were up with a new baby, their new parents. And they were feeling that overwhelmed feeling of, of can I actually do this? Can I persevere? Can I move forward? Or am I about to lose my mind? And so they were blessed by it. It's, that's, that's not like they were about to die and I prayed and they didn't. It shows us that the love of God is very, very tender. I haven't spoken with them in a decade and God woke me up to pray for them because they were struggling with their child. They were struggling with being a new parent. That's a kind, tender, and loving God who uses his spirit as he sees fit for the good of his people. So this is a gift that can be a real benefit to the body, provided it is exercised according to faith and not for the sake of looking more spiritual. Because just as soon as we set someone up as the resident prophet and we give them a little booth where you can go and visit them whenever you want, then we have eliminated the Holy Spirit from the equation altogether. Verse 7, if service in our serving, it may seem obvious but you cannot use the spiritual gift of service if you are not serving. It's like, nah, do I have any gifting in, in uh, automotive mechanics? I just, I just don't know. I don't know. Well, here's a car. Can you fix what's broken? Can you do anything here? If yes, then maybe there's gifting there. If not, probably not. If service in your serving, it may seem obvious. Don't overcomplicate it. If there is a need and you can help with it by serving, go and serve. And see if maybe you have the spiritual gift. If the result is something bigger than you, and the result is you get great joy out of it, it's likely that you have the spiritual gift of service. The spiritual gift of serving will not be found by pontificating upon if that gift is indeed strong in you. If you go to Starbucks and sit and sip your fancy drink, 
do I have that gift? That doesn't do that. You can't pontificate upon it and figure it out. You, you, you serve. And remember that there are varieties of service. So don't limit yourself to being the parking lot guy or the hors d'oeuvre lady. You can serve in many different ways. And we all appreciate the hors d'oeuvre lady, so it's not a slam. Verse 7. The one who teaches in his teaching. This is usually someone mature in their faith who, as Carson states, instructs others in the meaning and moral implications of Christian faith. That means that they, in large part, take this and they teach and, and, and they preach. And it's good for the body to know what this says because, remember, this is God's breathed out word. Again, this goes beyond having the natural ability to teach. The Holy Spirit is equipping the believer with a gift that is specifically designed to help that believer to strengthen the faith of other believers. This is the reason that I pray for strength of the Spirit in both the preparation and the delivery and the receiving of the teaching and preaching. It's not enough to simply be thorough in your preparation. On teaching on gifts of the Spirit, I don't know if I've ever been more aware of how your natural abilities just can't cut it. I could study for hours and hours more than I've studied, and, and I, in my natural ability, cannot give you what you need this morning. If the Spirit is not active in the communication and the receiving of this, we will be found very lacking. The Spirit makes it bigger than you. James 3.1 gives us a sobering warning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Even with that warning, I am praying that God raises up more teachers in this body of believers. Look at verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. This is encouragement. And the word exhortation literally means a calling to one's side. If you've ever been on the receiving end of this, it's especially sweet. These crazy people with the gift of exhortation see someone who is hurting, and they come to their side. They draw near to the people that many of us run from. They find joy in serving the people that many of us might call high maintenance because they've been gifted in such a manner as to be faithful in serving. They do so with an aim of comfort and consoling for the purpose of strengthening the faith of one who is hurting. When someone is grieving, these are those people who stick around, eager to help and serve in any number of ways for the sake of bringing comfort. Verse 8 also says, the one who contributes in generosity. This is not only rich people, okay? The one who contributes in generosity, it's just not only rich people. Some of us say that we wish we had the gift of contribution because we think if God blesses us with that gift, he will do so by padding our bank accounts. Lord, I'm really wanting the gift of contribution during the holiday. So if you could hook me up, I will contribute accordingly. We work our percentages and realize if the 10% is bigger, the 90% is bigger, and the 20% is bigger than the 80%, yeah, I'm going to pray for that. It's not only for rich people. But people who have this gift can be poor or rich, and they look for opportunities. Their radar is always on. 
Big-hearted and open-handed, they regularly, yet quietly, look for opportunity to give money and other resources, it's not just money, in a manner that strengthens the faith of others. Paul's encouragement to those with this gift is a little more specific than the encouragement in service, teaching, and exhortation. He says, the one who contributes in generosity. Paul says to contribute in generosity, don't be cheap. Don't give begrudgingly. When you see needs and you have an opportunity to provide in such a manner, don't, oh, here we go again. I got plenty. You can have it. That's not how you use that gift. You use it in generosity. Don't give begrudgingly. Generosity also has the connotation of readiness. Just ready. These people have this gift that makes them ready to give, and their aim is not just financial blessing. Their aim is to strengthen the faith of other people. And there's ways to give that do that. Verse 8 says, the one who leads with zeal. Leaders are often people who hold others accountable and push others forward in their walk. The result is that leaders often go lengths of time without someone holding them as specifically accountable as they hold others, and they will often go lengths of time pushing others forward when maybe they're not being pushed forward by someone else. This is why a leader needs to have zeal, and this is why I think plurality is a real benefit to the body. The leader needs to have zeal. Have you ever tried to follow someone who doesn't seem at all excited about what you're doing? It's not usually the most fruitful endeavor. All right, yeah, let's do this. It's really important. It doesn't work well like that. Then the leader needs to have zeal. The zeal referred to in this text is diligence, earnestness, and eagerness. These are sweet blessings to the body of believers. And these are sweet blessings from a body of believers to others. Those with the gift of spiritual leadership are to have a sincere and intense conviction, not wishy-washy. It's hard to follow a leader who is lukewarm and lazy. Zeal is not fakeness. I'm sort of cynical, so I'm already feeling convicted about the previous points. When I see someone who is, yeah, let's do this, all right, I'm like, shut it, chill out, calm down. Let's just do what we need to do because it's what's right. But zeal is good, and zeal is not necessarily fakeness at all. Ecclesiastes 5 warns us not to be rash with our mouth. It says, be careful. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. God's not saying, hey, just be zealous and exciting with your mouth. I don't care about your heart. What that means is that zeal is not just one way to express what is important. Rather, zeal sees what is important and is passionate about leading others in that direction. So they exercise care and conscientiousness as they lead others Godward. For the record, this is not only referring to the elders of the church, heads of household. Lead your families with zeal. Teachers, lead the classes with zeal. It will be very difficult to instill zeal in your children about something in which you are not zealous. That's very difficult to do. So the one who leads is to lead with a diligence and earnestness and eagerness. Verse 8 also says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Have you ever done a service project with someone who complains the whole time? 
it's a real drag. You're like telling them, shh, be quiet. They're going to hear us. We're painting their house, and you're complaining about painting the house. They're right there. This is awkward. Do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you have the gift of doing acts of mercy by design, you should be fruitful and joyful as you serve others in this capacity. Remember, your aim is to strengthen the faith of other people, not make them feel guilty about wasting your precious time. So do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's my hope and prayer for Crosspoint. First, that we would not be uninformed in regards to spiritual gifts. Second, that we would love. All spiritual gifts are expressions of love, sincere love toward other people. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 falls between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. It's not just about like love we want to talk about at a marriage ceremony or wedding ceremony. It's about the expressions of the gifts and the health of the body. So my hope is that we would love because all spiritual gifts are expressions of love, sincere love toward other people. We should care about others. Those you are sitting next to, you should have great care for them, and that care will be expressed through the gifts that the Spirit has given you to be used. My hope is that even a brief consideration of Christ's design for the health of the, and beauty of his bride would fan into flame what may be lying unkindled or unrecognized in the members of Crosspoint. As I was up here last night working through the sermon, that was the picture I had is that maybe we have some unrecognized gifting that needs to be fanned into flame. And maybe we need to have some, some unkindled gifting that needs to be kindled and, and fanned into flame. Well, I was talking to someone this week and um, you don't have to have a real big oven for it to be hot. It just has to be hot. Like, like a small oven in, in, in a room can, can heat up the whole room if indeed it is hot, intensely hot. You don't have to have a huge fire pit to get the heat that is necessary. And when we got here this morning, the heater was messed up and it was like 100 degrees in here, which was pretty funny given what I was hoping would happen this morning. We turned it down for you so that you're not miserable. But what I want us to see is that the ability of the Holy Spirit is unlimited. The ability of the Holy Spirit is unlimited. We do not have to sit here and wonder if the Spirit has gifted this body of believers in any of these ways. If we are indeed a true body of believers, then God aims for our health to be achieved in total dependence upon Him through these gifts. I pray that the Spirit would give you eagerness and joy in your transformed minds that you would use your differing gifts. So here is the encouragement this morning. Prophesy, serve, teach, exhort, contribute, lead, show acts of mercy, and know that the list that we covered today is only half of those mentioned specifically in the Word. There's more for us to grow in in regards to our spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit has many ways to bless this body, and all of those ways will involve members of the body using their gifts for the purpose they were created. So I, I'll end with the warning. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. To despise the spiritual gifts in some manner, to say, that just sounds weird, I don't want to do that. Uh, to say, uh, hopefully someone else will take care of that. Don't quench the Spirit, but rather use your gifts for service. It will be a blessing to this body, and in turn, this body will be a blessing to a very lost world that needs to know the truth about Jesus.
It's not just activity. It's activity that communicates truth about Jesus so that people can enjoy Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their treasure. Spiritual gifts are very important. I don't want us to minimize them. I don't want us to quench the Spirit, but I want us to use our differing gifts as God has designed. Let's pray to that end. Lord, I don't know if I have ever been more aware of how much the enemy hates us talking about this. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I think there's probably many sitting here right now who are focused on their weaknesses and not their strengths. We have strength and might and power in the Spirit. And my prayer for us is that the Spirit would be mighty and at work and moving according to your will. We've talked about some specifics this morning. And it's just not enough that we've talked about it. So Lord, my prayer is that we would walk in this. That we would see this big, beautiful, robust picture of people serving one another, of the gifts overlapping, of needing encouragement and giving encouragement, all at the same time because we're not limited to our natural abilities, but we're gifted by the Spirit to achieve things that go far beyond what we could ever achieve just in our natural abilities. Lord, the very first letters that were written to the churches. We're clearing up discrepancies and inconsistencies and imbalances in regards to many of the spiritual gifts. Thousands of years later, some of those problems and inconsistencies have maybe become even more complex and discouraging and confusing. Please give us clarity. I pray that we are spiritual people, not in some hokey sense. But Romans 8 says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we see these opportunities and these possibilities, something that sometimes happens is the flesh sort of rages. Lord, we're nothing without you. It's only in the spirit that we can even please you. Lord, I also pray that as we seek to apply these truths, that we would not become a works-based, faithless people, but that our faith would be strengthened and that we would be encouraged in the truth, knowing that through the Spirit, God has mighty work to do on this earth. We love you, and we praise you, and I, I pray that we would humbly submit to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Acts, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the, on the people of God. And in the book of Acts, it says uh, in 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe 
came upon every soul. When's the last time you were in awe of God? What are your expectations for what God is going to accomplish through this church? Is it just that we have natural abilities and we're going to try to do some things right and try to do less things wrong? Because the result of the Spirit in Acts was awe. I want us to be in awe of the might and wonder and worth and treasure of our God in the Spirit. I want us to not be so limited in the possibilities. So many of us sitting here right now would say, I can't do that, my schedule's too full. If there was a need or a service or a possibility or a possibility for an act of mercy, many of us would say, how am I going to fit that in? Awe would lead us otherwise. Awe would cause us to humble ourselves for the Lord and say, what a sweet opportunity. I, I can continue to spend and be spent gladly, even when I'm tired, if the Spirit is at work. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. This was a result as they came together and broke bread. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper and consider this community that we have right here. And all who believed were together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, I'm, I'm very thankful for the work of Christ. A finished work, complete work, a thorough work. I'm thankful that I need not be tempted to use my spiritual gifts as a means of obtaining righteousness. but that Christ's righteousness is counted as mine. For those believers in this room, we can each be encouraged that Christ's righteousness is counted as ours. And in that, we have these treasures, these gifts of the Spirit. I confess years of lacking understanding, and I confess a continued lack of understanding and lack of sober-mindedness in regards to the gifts in my prayer for us is that you would give us clarity, sober-mindedness, and right eagerness to pursue the spiritual gifts. It will only happen by the Spirit. As we continue in worship, as we sing, as we give, let our hearts not be far from the, the actions that we are taking part in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go have a quick seat. And a couple of brief announcements. Um, but I also wanted to encourage, I'm hoping y'all are encouraged by God's design this morning. I'm hoping there's sweet encouragement in knowing that um, God doesn't expect something of you that he does not help you with in large, large, bountiful, abundant measure. And I also want to encourage you this week as, you know, Christmas is coming and there's probably going to be more time as families. 
If you're not used to acknowledging spiritual gifts and encouraging it in other people and even trying to you know, make sure you're using your gifts, begin that in the home this week. Husbands, look at your wives and, and affirm them in the ways that you see them using their, their gifts. Wives, do the same with your husbands. Your children who are in faith, they have a childlike faith that is supposed to be an encouragement to you. We talked about helping people this week and, you know, blankets and coats and things, and we had our lesson, and then it was over. And, you know, I need to get back to work, things like that. What do my children do? They go and collect every blanket and jacket that they can find that, that they don't want anymore all of a sudden, and they want to go and, and hand them out. That, that childlike faith, that, that is to be encouraged. Even your children have, have particular gifts um, that are designed to help you and encourage you and strengthen you in your faith. So spend some time in your homes using your gifts and, and acknowledging them in, in each other and encouraging one another in the Spirit. Lord, we're thankful uh, to gather today and to worship you and to be encouraged in the truth. I pray that we would walk in the Spirit. I pray that you would reveal to us and show us uh, our gifting. pray that that would be affirmed by other members of the body and that in the use of our gifts we would strengthen each other and ultimately be a healthier church that is uh, light shining brighter and a more fragrant aroma uh, to those around us who need to hear the gospel. You are great and greatly to be praised, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good day.